So, you know, I would not be very happy if I were given a role because it is reserved for a woman. I would rather fight for it. I would rather compete and win that role because I'm competent. I'm capable. Hmm. That is why I have got the role. Not because I'm a woman and there is a chair, you know, reserved for a woman. So uh, I, I sincerely believe that uh, in, in the technology industry, people should be given a role based on their merit, not because of, of their gender or race or ethnicity or anything else. Now, having said that, there should be no bias either that, you know, because this person comes from this, uh, you know, particular region or this ethnicity or, you know, this religion or of, because of a gender, nobody should be biased or discriminated against. So everybody should be given a level playing field. Welkom bij Women Disrupting Tech. Mijn naam is Dirk-Jan Hupkes en in deze podcast ga ik op ontdekkingsreis in de wereld van vrouwen in de technologie sector. Ik ga in gesprek met vrouwen die in tech werken of oprichter zijn van een tech start-up. Ik ga op zoek naar het antwoord op de vraag hoe zij er wel in geslaagd zijn om succes te hebben. Met andere woorden, hoe zij de technologie sector disrupten. Luister je mee? Hey, welcome back to Women Disrupting Tech. Today's episode is about making an impact of a different kind. Because while most women in this podcast are building an app or a service that makes this planet a better place, today's guest is saving everyone money. And she does so not by providing some SaaS platform, but by helping banks and regulators prevent fraud and detect money laundering. Sujata Dasgupta is the Global Head of Financial Crime Risk and Compliance Advisory at Tata Consultancy Services in Stockholm. She brings 23 years of experience in areas like Know Your Customer, Sanctions, Anti-Money Laundering and Fraud in Banking, IT and Consultancy for Businesses Globally. In addition, Sujata is an award-winning industry leader who was featured among the 10 Young and Inspiring Businesswomen to Watch in 2021 by Tycoon Success Magazine. And she was featured in interviews by, amongst others, The Economist and Bloomberg. In this episode, we'll talk about the changes that AI brings to the regulatory compliance field, how diversity helps to get better risk management, and we'll discuss how organizations can get more women to join and stay in tech. So welcome to Women Disrupting Tech, Sujata Dasgupta. So the first question that I always ask my uh, guest is at the start of the podcast is how you got into your current job uh, or into your current position and start wherever you want. Mm-hmm. So firstly, thank you so much, DJ. Um, we've we've uh, met at Amsterdam earlier during the Financial Times conference, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm glad you invited me here to to speak on this very important topic. It is also very close to my heart. So uh, glad to be here. Um, I started my career 23 years ago. So I was a banker. I started with India's largest bank. It's called State Bank of India. Mm-hmm. Uh, initially, I worked in India for a few years, and then I was posted in um, the bank's U.S. operations, the headquarters at New York. Uh, so here, I got the exposure of everything that happens in banking. You know, at a branch mm-hmm. level to what happens at a corporate level. So I did uh, retail banking and corporate banking. 
I did um, uh, loans and deposits. I did payments to settlements, accounting to reconciliations, foreign exchange, risk and compliance, you name it. So that gave me a very strong exposure into everything that goes on in the world of banking. And my timing at uh, New York in US was also soon after the 9-11 attacks when this whole concept of uh, you know the anti-money laundering, uh, it, it all started there. So yeah. I was right there at that point of the time. So it gave me a very good exposure, a very strong foundation into what I have been doing for the next 20 years now. Mm -hmm. So after the bank, I eventually moved into IT services and consulting primarily in the risk and compliance space, but then I specialized in the financial crime compliance. Earlier, it was more of EML and KYC. Now it has mm -hmm. become a much larger umbrella of what we call financial crime compliance. So mm -hmm. uh, that, uh, you know, that has been my journey so far. Uh, I am now uh, heading TCS's uh, financial crime compliance advisory and um, currently based in uh, Stockholm in Sweden for the last five years. Okay. How is it in Stockholm? I mean, you're Indian, so it must be terribly cold in the winter, right? Yes, it is. I mean, uh, uh, weather-wise, yes, I come, you know, I was born and brought up in a tropical country, India, mm -hmm. and then uh, Sweden is, of course, so much polar. Mm -hmm. But uh, I have been fortunate to have traveled across the globe. So I have lived and worked in, say, New York, in London. Mm -hmm. uh, so they are, you know, the cold, uh, New York is the colder country where we had seen, uh, you know, not not exactly like Sweden, but still quite cold temperatures and snow. Yeah. But then I've been on the other side of the world as well. I've been in Singapore, which was much warmer than India as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, probably my body's got used to all the confusion by now. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah, New York is uh, can be uh, really cold, uh, yeah. especially in the, in the winter. So yeah, yeah. That, uh, I experienced that uh, one day. Um, just to, to add to move on to uh, uh, to uh, where we are today in a in an age where uh, when we both started in uh, in AML uh, it was really heavy on paper all those processes and now there's things like AI and ChatGPT so does that also make fraud uh, and money laundering easier to uh, to create schemes? Like, do you, can, you, can you type in, in chat? I don't know, I've ne not tried this. Um, uh, but can you type in, like, give me a money laundering scheme, like uh, a Nigerian <laughs> prince or something like that, or a Nigerian prince letter? Well, uh, honestly, you know, we have, like, both you and me have been working in this field for the last 20 years. And uh. we have seen how, you know, heavy paper-based has moved from, from, you know, the manual effort to automation to where we are now. It's so much more digital right so technology is always invented for for the betterment of our lives right? uh -huh. it, it is meant to make our lives more convenient more easy and uh, do a lot of uh, you know data processing assimilation in a much shorter period of time so it's all meant for the good but technology has always proved to be a double-edged sword and even criminals have always used them for their benefit also so when we were in the paper-based yeah. world there were paper-based frauds and crimes uh-huh now that we are in this age of, like you mentioned, the gen AI age, the generative AI age, so now the crimes are of a different complexity. Mm -hmm. So uh, we have seen in the world of, uh, you know, the, the digital AI world where we have seen uh, the kinds of crimes that criminals uh, have been perpetrating by using technology. Mm -hmm. We have seen cyber crimes and ransomware as a service where, uh, you know, a criminal sitting in one part of the world is actually, uh, you know, hacking into the uh, servers of, 
you know, a, a, an organization in a different part of the world. Mm -hmm. So uh, all, all these are happening because of technology enablement. So to your question about, uh, you know, what can we, um, what can we expect with uh, generative AI? Mm -hmm. Well, I, uh, I think that, yes, it will also give rise to various new kinds of frauds and crimes because uh, uh, if, if we think of what generative AI can do, well, it can do a lot of good things as we have seen that it's been disrupting all industries for the better. But then mm -hmm. criminals will also use it to their advantage. So yeah. you think of, uh, you know, uh, writing texts and emails, which are very realistic, very human-like. So can we think of more business email compromises? Yes, probably yes. Can you think of more, um, you know, social engineering? Probably yes, because uh, people will think that these, these emails are truly genuine. Mm -hmm. Then there is, uh, uh, you know, generation of uh, voice cloning, synthetic voice cloning, where again, it can be very close to real, you know, cloning the real voice. So yeah. again, people can be uh, fooled into thinking that this is someone they know, but actually they're speaking to someone some criminal who's actually cloned the voice. So this is where, uh, you know, the generative AI can generate content in the form of text, in the form of voice, in the form of videos, and you know, create more social engineering frauds, scams, manipulation, where uh, you know people will be consumers will be defrauded into something which we think is genuine, but is not mm -hmm. because it is something being generated by criminals. So possibly yes, a lot more kind of complex crimes are about to come up. Okay, so I recently read a, a, an article that you published about how financial institutions like bank are monitoring fraud. They can do that in real time. Mm -hmm. But uh, in money laundering, that's still more of an after-the-fact discovery yes. thing. Uh, mm -hmm. So is, if it's, do you expect any uh, issues with regula regulators then for banks because they're, they're not able to catch it? Uh, as it happens, in fact, uh, where they are in in uh, in, uh, in fraud, uh, mm -hmm. in the area of fraud, do you expect it to lead to more uh, enforcement action then also? Well, uh, the thing about, you know, the, the main difference between detecting fraud and mm -hmm. detecting a money laundering activity mm -hmm. is that fraud mainly happens when somebody else is trying to steal uh, the bank's customer's money. So it's... Mm -hmm. In most cases, it's a third party trying to steal my my customer's money. So yeah. that's that's where the banks are trying to identify whether the person who is doing the transaction is the genuine customer of the bank or not. So it's more of identifying the authenticity authenticity of the user. Yeah. So it can be by profiling their devices, by um, checking their behaviors, their mm -hmm. identity credentials, and all of that to. Uh, to uh, validate whether this is a genuine customer or not. If it is not the genuine customer, then it's obviously a fraud and that transaction is stopped. Uh -huh. The difference with the money laundering is that in money laundering, it's always the customer of the bank. So there is never a problem with identifying whether it is the customer or not, because it is the customer of the bank. The problem is about identifying what is the intent of his customer, uh -huh. whether the customer is trying to uh, you know, do some terrorist financing or drug trafficking or uh, what is the purpose of that transaction? So uh, it, it is the problem is about discovering the intent, discovering uh, the reason for that transaction, mm -hmm. which becomes extremely difficult because everything else is in place. You know, yeah. the transaction is being done by the genuine customer. And uh, 
identifying and and then uh, you know holding up a customer's transaction suspecting it to be a, a you know a money laundering or a criminal activity mm-hmm. is where the problem comes because it requires a lot of analysis uh, based on which you would suspect right i mean uh, unless there is reasonable grounds to suspect you cannot really stop a transaction so that is why now we see that it always happens after a transaction is done mm-hmm. and that is how the regulators have also prescribed it that uh, you know they need to be reported suspicious okay. activity needs to be reported yeah. but now times are changing and to the article that you referred that is about um, a guidance that uh, europe's um, eba has um, uh, provided this guideline where yeah. banks should also try to do risk based uh, monitoring of transactions on a real time basis but then there has to be those triggers where uh, you know those triggers have to be identified mm-hmm. but it looks uh, to be uh, you know suspicious where then that monitoring has to happen on real time yeah but then again it it is not something which can be done manually because you know no. transactions happen in seconds so so that is where all this synthesis of data and um, analysis all that has to be done in a you know matter of say 200 to 500 milliseconds so obviously it's not humanly possible and that is where again all this ai that you were talking about will have to come in yeah so does it does also give banks a lot of opportunities to if they have implemented this kind of uh at least the data collection part of it uh, properly they can also use that de- start to use that data to now start detecting the patterns right yes absolutely absolutely because ultimately uh the kind of data that we use for detecting fraud and detecting money laundering there is a lot of overlap mm-hmm. we are ultimately still yeah. using customer data account data transactions data their associated parties data so yes why not the, yeah. that the whole uh, you know the co- common uh, database can be used to detect uh fraud as well as money laundering uh, in the real time okay and just for context for the listeners who don't know the eba is the european banking association right European Banking Authority Authority yeah so uh, that's is that uh, a difference uh from the ECB yeah i guess yeah ECB is the European Central Bank Make? yeah okay so just just to uh to give that in terms of context yeah sure um so I read also somewhere that you consider yourself an internal optimist and I found that uh, quite interesting in this field where uh if if you uh if you start monitoring transactions you you see a lot of good things but you also see a lot of bad things so doesn't uh, how do you uh, keep yourself motivated uh to to keep seeing the good things in uh, in people So uh, you're you're right Vidya I'm actually an eternal optimist both yeah. in my professional and my personal life as well yeah. and uh, working in this in this area like you rightly mentioned it is a dark space you know uh, yeah. trying to identify crimes and um, looking at criminals the the heinous crimes that they are committing and how it is impacting overall right so so we uh, look at crimes like drug trafficking and um, you know human trafficking mm-hmm. then there's uh, environmental crimes like your illegal uh, poaching and mining and waste dumping mm-hmm. then there are social crimes like your bribery and corruption so all of these crimes ultimately they impact our society our environment it disturbs the uh, biodiversity then there is economic impact as well because it sucks out huge amounts of money from the economy which could have been used for for the welfare of the people but then they are uh, they are stolen by criminals so mm-hmm. uh, 
I, I, I do see the dark side of things, but then the hope of people like me who work in this field, like you've also worked in this space, we mm -hmm. are very passionate people and we want to make a difference. Uh, so mm -hmm. uh, even a tiny drop in the ocean, I believe, will help in, in eradicating some of these problems by you know, diminishing the impacts of uh, some of these crimes. So if, if we are able to stop even one crime or uh, build some awareness so that people do not get defrauded or uh, you know, we are able to save people from, from the impacts of all these, you know, the various kinds of crimes, I think we can make the world a little safer, a little better, and uh, probably all our lives will be better. So, so that is yeah. that is the hope which which you know keeps uh, keeps me awake at night and wakes me up in the morning. Well, that's okay. Great. That's uh, that, yeah. The, I uh, I do uh, agree that uh, if even if, if you are in a position that you can actually prevent uh, something bad from happening, that uh, also gives you uh, a lot of motiv motivation to uh, to just continue doing the work that you uh, that you're doing. I want to switch tracks a bit uh, because you're uh, well. You're in. Do you consider yourself more of a compliance slash risk person or more of a techie? So uh, I started my career in the banking industry, like huh? I mentioned. Yeah. So my foundation has been more of a uh, you know finance professional yeah. uh, specializing in the risk and compliance space. Yeah. But then I have been in the IT industry for about um, 16, 17 years now. Yeah. And that is where I have learned to appreciate how technology can be used to uh, uh, you know enhance your risk management and compliance processes. Mm -hmm. So I have put in a lot of effort to learn what the various kinds of technology can do. And especially in the last five to seven years where we have seen a huge disruption in terms of uh, you know, the various forms of AI, even mm -hmm. now seeing, we are seeing how generative AI is disrupting uh, you know, all various industries. So I try to keep myself updated on what is happening in the various um, technology world and try to bring in those aspects into my risk and compliance function so that um, you know, I can advise banks better and the, the, this industry can uh, enhance its effectiveness and efficiency in terms of preventing crimes and fraud. So uh, though I started out as a risk and compliance professional, mm -hmm. and I, I still am, I think now it's a good combination of both where I'm able to leverage the various new technologies into doing the risk and compliance function better. How has that changed over time? Because, yeah, from obviously from paper-based to, to much more mm. tech, but... Mm. Does it also require you to, to have uh, trainings on, on the tech side, like on, uh, for instance, on, on, on AI or? So, um, so for me, yes, trainings are required, but the training is not on the, uh, you know, the technical aspects. By technical aspect, I would mean the coding part or uh -huh. the development part. Yeah. So um, uh, I, I do keep myself uh, upskilled by, by uh, going through different trainings within, within my organization. Even I go for external trainings. So this training is for me to understand what this new technology does. So we, we did speak a little bit about generative AI, right? So that yeah. has been the buzzword for the last, say, you know, six months or so. Mm -hmm. uh, so I have tried to learn by, you know, through a, a, a training, I have tried to understand what is this new technology? What yeah. does it do? You know, what, what are the benefits? What are the use cases? And then I try to implement it in my risk and compliance function. So yes, trainings are absolutely necessary. So I, I do uh, upskill myself on trainings, but then I also read a lot. I write a lot as well. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a holistic approach. Okay. 
So yeah, for if you write probably if you write these articles, so you probably mm. also have to put in a lot of research. It's not something Absolutely. that's like a brain fart that is coming uh, onto paper uh, straight yes, away. Absolutely. And even absolutely. then, even even if it would be uh, uh, something that you wrote up like really easily, then you still would need to back it up and do the research for that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So you're you're a woman uh, in at the top of the risk pyramid at the moment. Uh, I had a question: Is taking risk a good thing? Or <laughs> Because that, I, let, let me give some context also for the listeners. Yeah. Because I, uh, where, when uh, one of the things I found out over time is that uh, for most people, the first response is that risk is something terrible because something bad might actually happen. So you better listen to those guys. And I always try to say, well, what I have is an opinion. It's an educated opinion, of course, but risk comes with a reward. So that's hence my question. So, yeah. So uh, to the question whether uh, you know whether I take risks or not, hmm. you know, from a very early age, I had very low risk appetite. I was a very conservative person, and uh, like you rightly said, uh, you know, high risk would come with a high reward. Yeah. But I was always content with taking no risk or low risk satisfied with a low reward. That is mm. how I was, yeah. you know, even from my early age, uh, even if you see my early investment patterns, that is the kind of person that I was. But then um, I've been working in this risk management function for, uh, you know, over 20 years now. Yeah. And what I have learned during this process is, uh, it is, it is, we do not think about risk in isolation. We think about risk management. So uh, what if there is a particular situation which which has risk attached to it, right? So mm. uh, possibly there is a big reward also, but uh, it's not just the reward that I'm uh, you know, attracted to. What I try to do is for every risk, I think of what would be the consequences or the mm. negative impacts. You know, if things were to go well, I would get the reward, but what would be my worst case scenario? So what mm. would be the negative impact? Now, is that something which is acceptable to me? You know, that negative impact, is it within my appetite? Mm. If yes, I go for it. If not, are the consequences something which I could mitigate? Is it something where, you know, I could put some controls in place which could possibly reduce either the impact or the probability? Mm -hmm. Is there something I could do which could, you know, do any of these things? Again, if the answer is yes, I go for it because I'm taking an informed decision. I'm doing my due diligence, right? I'm doing my mm -hmm. research. I'm taking an informed decision. So if the answer is still yes, I go for it. But even after doing all my controls and mitigations, um, even after that, if the consequences are beyond my risk appetite, mm -hmm. I drop it. I do not go for it. So uh, to your question, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, I, I would not say risk is a bad thing always. Mm -hmm. Provided you are you are doing your research, you are uh, you know, backing up that decision with, uh, with a certain plan in mind, I think it is fine to go ahead because... Uh, there, there will be a reward if things were to go your way. But if things do not go your way, you still do not lose as much. Because mm -hmm. in life, nothing nothing will succeed all the time. So no. there will be some pluses, some minuses. So I think if we take the risks, but informed risks, I think it's worth to uh, you know, go for it, provided it's within your risk appetite. Okay. Out of curiosity, do, uh, do you think women get or raised uh, with a lower risk aware uh, risk appetite i should say than men 
are told to take less uh, less of a risk in their lives? I don't know about that. Uh, honestly, I've not thought about that. No. But then, uh, you know, I have, I've seen people, I mean, both men, women, you know, they, they come from, uh, they come with different views all the time, right? So I, I again, work with, uh, you know, very, very diverse teams across the globe. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I have, I have seen people, you know, some of them are thinking on the lines that I do, right? That, mm -hmm. okay, we will see if it's within my appetite. We'll see if there are controls or mitigations in place. You know, so, so there are people who think on the same lines. Some people, you know, they would think like, you know, if we have to move ahead, we need to take risks. Fine, if there is, you know, if it doesn't work in my favor, uh, maybe five out of ten times, maybe we will, uh, we will make it. Five out of ten times, we may not make it. So I think it, it's about people's perspective. I'm not sure if it is gender based, mm -hmm. but uh, you know, I've, I've seen different perspectives from people. Okay, so so you you say uh, you said that you are working with a diverse team. Let's switch tracks to to that uh, a bit. Mm -hmm. um, you're working for a global consultancy company. Um, what does that give you any benefit in terms of uh, looking at risk and, and in terms of looking at at fraud patterns and and technical uh, technological developments? You think? Um, see, I think um, what I have seen again, uh, you know, working with uh, again. So we have uh, our own organization has offices across the world. Yeah. And we also have clients across the world, yeah. right? So, so it's it's a uh, it's perspectives in both ways, our own teams as well as our client teams. Mm -hmm. So we have seen that uh, the kinds of fraud and the um, crimes that take place in different parts of the world are actually different. So, uh, you know, the kind of uh, crimes that we see in Mexico may be very different from the kinds of crimes that we see in, say, a European country mm -hmm. or an Asian country. Yeah. Right. So, it it differs from region to region, yeah. and that is where. Uh, we help clients of those regions to overcome those kind of crimes. So we we build diverse teams. So we uh, we bring in team members from that region as well as from you know from the other region. So that when we speak together, you know, when we come together as a team, yeah. uh, there is a lot of synergy which comes because uh, people come with various different kinds of uh, you know backgrounds and upbringing. So what I have seen in my early days in India has has uh, you know actually built my perspectives. Similarly, our team members who come from different parts of the world, they have seen different kinds of crimes mm -hmm. and the kind of controls that were put in place. So definitely it helps when we have a diverse team coming from different different parts of the world, different um, you know different backgrounds, different experiences. Uh, that really helps because each one has a different point of view. Each one has a different idea to solve a certain problem. So that definitely helps. It becomes uh, more synergized as a team. Yeah, it makes it, well, I wouldn't say it makes it easier to detect uh, problems, but it does make it easier to, to deal with them if they pop up somewhere totally different where it wasn't before. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't say it's it's very easy to detect, but nah. probably when we get together as a team, yeah. we, uh, we sometimes hear of solutions which probably I could not have thought of, right? But it comes from somebody who has actually seen it somewhere. Yeah. And they say that, yeah, this has happened in my country and this is how you know, we think that we should look at it. So, so you know, we are the people who are trying to fight crimes. So uh, in order to fight crimes, we have to think like criminals, which does not yeah. come easy, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that is where different perspectives help. If, if, if somebody has been a victim of a similar crime, then we can take the help of that person trying to identify what has been the sequence of events. 
and then you know trying to piece together a story and then identify a sort a solution to that okay so, out of curiosity do you hmm? would you hire a criminal to catch a criminal well you remind me of the movie <laughs> catch me if you can yeah <laughs> uh well uh that that has been happening. In fact, I think um, uh, was it Interpol or Europol where I read that um, uh, they. Uh, I, I'm not exactly sure uh, which organization it was, but uh, they are uh, speaking with criminals to understand how the criminals think. Yeah. I'm not sure if they actually hired, but they were speaking to those criminals to understand. Uh, you know the what is their thought process? How do they plan a kind of an attack so that you know they could use those in order to actually uh, you know catch criminals so uh, i i cannot say that i i would do the same in my team but uh, probably organizations uh, you know like the enforcement uh, teams are are opening up to it okay so i have an arrangement with one of my previous guests Jacqueline van der Ende that this um, podcast needs to be uh, well obsolete in 10 years because then diversity in tech and women in high positions in in tech companies are a normal thing um what would be your recommendation to make this happen well uh, i sincerely hope that this happens dj because uh, <laughs> uh, your podcast is about women disrupting tech mm-hmm. and um I, uh, for me, I don't think there should be something like this. Why 10 years? It should not be even now. Because it should not be about women in tech or a man in tech. It should just be a tech professionals in tech. That mm-hmm. is how it should be. Because the industry that we are talking about is a skill-intensive industry. It is about merit. It is about people who have the skill, the knowledge, the creativity, the passion to you know, come up with, with new uh, new technology solutions, uh-huh. use them in uh, multiple different industries. So I think this is a skill-based industry and people should be uh, acknowledged based on the merit that they have. So, you know, I would not be very happy if I were given a role because it is reserved for a woman. I would rather fight for it. I would rather compete and win that role because I'm competent, I'm capable. Mm. That is why I have got the role. Not because I'm a woman and there is a chair you know, reserved for a woman. So uh, I, I sincerely believe that uh, in, in the technology industry, people should be given a role based on their merit, not because of, of their gender or race or ethnicity or anything else. Now, having said that, there should be no bias either that, you know, because this person comes from this, uh, you know, particular region or this ethnicity or, you know, this religion or of, because of a gender, Nobody should be biased or discriminated against. So everybody should be given a level playing field. Mm-hmm. So if certain, you know, if there there are certain segments of our society which do not have the same advantages as the other, I think organizations should try and, you know, level that up, give everybody that level playing field. So to, to just give you an example, mm-hmm. we're, we're talking about women disrupting tech here, right? So yeah. uh, in, in so many conversations, so many organizations are now talking about X percentage of women at you know at organization mm, yeah. level say 40 percent women representation yeah. at the board level or you know whatever levels so why is it i mean we know half the world's population is women then why is it so difficult to have half the population in an organization we know there are so many organizations which do not even have 20 percent women yeah so why is it so difficult 
now uh, again in my experience i have seen that when uh, when students come out of their you know college or university degrees uh, when they're just joining the workforce mm -hmm. there is roughly you know roughly an equal balance between men and women mm -hmm. but then uh, as the careers progress you know as as they mature uh, along the ladder yeah. uh, women tend to drop off you know women either tend to drop off from the workforce totally or they do not move up the ladder as men do now there yeah. can be various reasons right there can be various reasons i'm not you know not getting into those reasons but uh, what i can advise organizations is you know support those people who are capable and still not being able to continue in the careers so there is probably some sort of constraint which is not allowing them to continue in their work right so mm -hmm. they are probably yeah. dropping off for for personal reasons so organizations could probably look at what is the constraint that the good people are leaving them you know yeah. so it's not about the gender it's about if people are capable organizations should try and you know help them to to whether it's the training requirement whether it's flexibility in working whether it's giving them you know some sort of a sabbatical and then welcoming them back into the workforce so all these kind of enablements need to be done is what i feel but other than that it should be pure meritocracy i agree <laughs> um because you live in Sweden and Sweden is slightly more advanced, at least than the Netherlands in, in terms of, of uh, giving equal rights to, to people. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you think that's also, uh, what, how do you see that in your own organization in, in Stockholm then? Is, is that already happening that people get uh, equal opportunities and equal support because I, I know, for instance, that in, in Sweden, I think they have uh, the same rights for fathers to take time off when they get a, a child as women can. Um, honestly, I'm not so, you know, I, I don't know the policy so much, so probably I will not talk too much about it. Huh? But uh, I think what I have known in Sweden is um, uh, it's it's not about my organization alone. There is a Overall, there is some, you know, some government regulations which which everybody has to follow, which mm -hmm. my organization also follows. Mm -hmm. And um, since I do not have a child of my own, I, I don't know what are those regulations about. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, in in Sweden, uh, the the rules, you know, the labor laws are, um, you know, pretty pretty, uh, you know, uh, uh, comfortable for both both the genders and that applies to all organizations which even my organization follows i do not know the exact specifications but mm -hmm. uh, yeah they are they're quite comfortable is what i'm told but i have not been a recipient of that okay <laughs> okay well thanks very much for this uh, great conversation uh, sujata uh last question i always have is where can listeners find out more about you and wonderful work you're doing for tcs uh, well, I uh, I do a lot of work for TCS. I do a lot of work in the industry as well, where uh, you know I'm constantly mentoring people. I'm publishing my uh, own new ideas, new mm -hmm. thought leadership. I'm speaking a lot. I'm uh, uh, so so. There's a lot of work that I do in the industry as well, in mm -hmm. addition to what I do for my uh, clients at TCS. Mm -hmm. uh, I am very active on on LinkedIn. So uh, possibly uh, our uh, listeners can uh, view my LinkedIn profile, and I generally keep it updated. So. Uh, they should find all the information there okay and that's also where they can connect right yes they can connect yeah. okay well thanks very much again for uh, for this wonderful conversation really insightful so to get me a bit updated on the on the aml part and on the on the on the 
on the fraud and uh, compliance financial risk uh, area. Uh, so thanks very much. Also, listeners, very much. Uh, thanks very much for listening. And uh, you'll find all the information that uh, Sujata referred to in the show notes. And with that, uh, I hope you listen again in the next episode of Women Disrupting Tech. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Sujata and I hope that you enjoyed our conversation. If you did, please let us know via our socials. And you can find a link to Sujata's social media profiles and to her articles in the show notes at womendisruptingtech.blog. On the website, you can also subscribe to updates. And then I'll send you an email when a new episode is about to go on air. If you want to hear more episodes of the Women Disrupting Tech podcast, please follow the podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, or on GoodPods. And if you want to contribute to more diversity in tech, please share the podcast with friends, family, and co-workers, because this way you give my guests the platform they need to make this podcast irrelevant 10 years from now. Finally, if you want to connect with me, you can do that via the website, but you can also do that via LinkedIn. Just look up my name and you'll find me. Once again, thank you for listening, and I hope to see you in the next episode.